Warning, this podcast contains exclusive, intrusive, and idiosyncratic details from two people's brains. One brilliant, one not so brilliant. Enter with caution as Fish and Chip present Why. Welcome to Why, the show where we ask why. Presented by Fish and Chip, I'm Chip D.I. That's Dan Fish over there on the other side of the state. It is. It I is. am. <laughs> Therefore, I am. We have a uh, not totally planned, but it's a it's a special episode. It's an animal episode. Yeah, right? this wasn't on purpose. We just had oh. two topics that coincided with each other for some yeah. reason. We, well, they don't really coincide. They just both involve. There's animals. both about animals. <laughs> Going back to my question last week, also about animals, national animals, or whenever you decide to listen to that, we have three questions of animals in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I like animals. You like stuff. We like stuff. I like animals. You don't want to hear the conversation we just had before we started. <laughs> Uh, it's about pests. Murder. Yes. Anyway, anything you'd like to add before we dive in, Danny? I'm not Danny. Dan I want to go. I want to go right in the deep end. Right in the deep end. All right. Well, here we go. Starting. I'll start it off. So this one was kind of asked. I'm just gonna refer to him as my brother-in-law, even though they're not married, but they've been together like forever. He brought it up. He already kind of knows the answer, so he told me to research it, and I did, and I found it interesting. But have you ever wondered why many dog breeds have floppy ears while their wild counterparts, such as wolves, foxes, dingoes, and other Dingo wild dogs, babies. Dingoes all have upright ears. Pointed ears. I have a theory. You're, you're probably pretty right. You think I was when I told you that like a week or two ago? Yeah, but there's more to it than that. Yeah. Okay. Can I say my theory? You want sure. To yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Okay, so my theory, or what I was always under the belief of, which over this podcast, we have learned that the beliefs that we have on these topics have some truth to them, but really the bigger answer is much more detailed than that. <laughs> yes. So anyway, what I always believed is why domesticated dogs, in fact, have floppy ears is because since they've been domesticated for so long, such a long period of time, they don't need their ears to be perked up to hear as well because they're not always on alert for um, like possible things sneaking up on them in the wild, you know? So since they've been uh-huh. domesticated and aren't always at risk of, you know, being aware of surroundings, their ears don't have to be up to receive that audio sound as well. Well, that's pretty much it. Let's end the question right there. That was it. Wow. wow. No, I do know something. <laughs> no, that, that actually is part of it. Yeah. Well, that's like when why you'll see when a dog's hunting and they see something or they get excited, their ears will perk up because yes. they're trying to let more sound come in at that point. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. So that's and it's actually right. Woo! For the most part, well, for some of the part. Did I wreck it? No, not at all. Okay, not at all. You just added to it. All right, so it's actually not just dogs. It's a lot of domestic animals. Kitties. Cats are an anomaly <laughs> for many reasons, but 
ear, the ear thing is one of them. Most domestic cats still have pointed ears, which I'll get to later. All right. So like pigs, a lot of pig farms, their ears are floppier. Yes. Think of a wild boar. Their ears are either straight out or upright. Sheeps and goat. Goats. They sometimes have floppy ears. Sometimes they're not. But if you look at a wild ram or wild sheep, there's outright. Yeah. They're worried about the enemy. Certain pet rabbits have floppy ears, not always, but some, but wild rabbits always have upright ears. Some cows. A lot of of these animals that you're listing are normally like prey. (laughs) It makes sense that they need to be on alert. That's true. Well, (laughs) there's not really really many other domestic predators. You know, besides. Oh, there's no domestic predators. Besides not domestic. Wild wild predators i know but that's why you're saying all these are prey well they're the only domesticated things However, you're say- i'm saying in the wild the sheep will have their ears up oh yes. well but even domestic- predators in the oh. wild all have erect ears yes as, as this will be referred to but i'm and saying then- they need to be aware of their surroundings in the wild that's yes, why we okay we get it damn <laughs> we get it <laughs> All right, so it's not it's not as I said it's not every domestic animal like cats because they're weird in every aspect, but it would be almost impossible to find an animal in the wild that had floppy ears, as Dan has said, so they could hear their enemies, their prey. But why exactly? All right, so here's some information from one Mary Jo Dilinardo from Treehugger.com. <laughs> Yeah, I was on that website earlier today. Hey, they have lots of stuff. Anyway, the famous scientist, naturalist, biologist, evolutionist, Charles Darwin, had this exact same question back in 1860s. He had Are we putting same- ourselves in the same category as Darwin now? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we were on par with him. He actually published a book in 1968 titled Variation of Animals and Plants Under Domestication. In the book, he states, our domesticated quadrupeds are all descended, as far as is known, from species having erect ears. However, he never found out why exactly. Why did that change? We'll we'll come back to Mr. Darwin. This YouTube video from NPR's Skunk Bear with Adam Cole that also adds, it's on the same topic. You'd be surprised how much information there is about this. Uh, He adds that Darwin noted domestic animals not only have floppy ears, there are other things. They have shorter snouts, so also smaller jaws, have paler skin, and or splotchy fur. So if you think of like, if you have a pet dog, that's not like a purebred, like a German Shepherd or something, um, or any other various breed. You probably notice they have various colors on their fur coat. I know your dog Dan is full of colors, but he's also purebred too. Yeah, so that that's that's just of, part of their that's just part of their color. It's natural. Well, not necessarily. It's it's from this domestication process. Because if you think about any wild animal, they're all almost exactly the same. They like a wolf, a wolf next to another wolf is going to look just like that wolf. I mean, if you study them long enough, you'll be able to tell them apart, I'm sure. But then if you look at like a German short hair next to its sibling, 
you can probably tell the difference just based off their patterns. A tiger. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they'll have brown spots in different spots. They'll have some of them are just all brown. Some of them are all white. Exactly. Whereas a wolf, there's rarely ever any variation unless it's like an albino or a tiger. They're, they'll have stripes in different patterns, but they're still going to have orange fur, black stripes in the same side, same spots. So all these changes are referred to as domestication syndrome. A term that I believe Charles Darwin created. Coined. Coined, yes. According to Adam Cole, the YouTube guy, this all started thousands of years ago when the first animals were domesticated. Humans, probably the caveman type people, found the most approachable animals that they thought could benefit them. So such as a wild dog or wolf. They found them, fed them, and then bred them. And then they took their offspring that were the calmest to humans and continued breeding them. And as uh, you know, time went on, we got dogs. But why? Why did that change? Why? So back to Mary DeLonardo. She quotes that in Darwin's book, or no, she quoted, Darwin believed that there had to be a reason, but he's still going to find a link, kind of like I said. So poor Darwin. He knew something was wrong. Or maybe not wrong, but there, but never saw to see the uh, the end of it. And then in the late 50s, 1950s, <laughs> lots of studies done on this, surprisingly. A Russian geneticist, Dmitry Belyev, Belyev, I don't know how to pronounce it, did an experiment with silver foxes. They're like black and silver foxes. Foxen. Foxen. He hypothesized. I don't know. He hypothesized these changes were direct result of selective breeding. So to test this, he began breeding these foxes by choosing foxes that were calmest around people and less likely to bite. Kind of like the theory of the cavemen choosing the calmest dogs or wolves. In only a few generations later, not only were they domesticated, but they had floppy ears. Not all of them, but many of them. Weird, huh? In addition... They also had changes in their fur color. So they had splotchiness. And their skulls and jaws and teeth were all smaller. But he still didn't find out why. It was just a theory still. He still didn't know why. It wasn't until 2018. Just Whoa. recently. <laughs> yeah. What? That another study was done. This is 162 years after Darwin's discovery of... Uh, the domestication syndrome. This was led by Adam Wilkins of the Institute of Theoretical Biology in Berlin. He believed that those first wolves that were domesticated had lower levels of adrenaline, which fuels the fight or flight response. Kind of what you said originally about having their ears were perked so they could hear, so they could uh, either sense the predators or sense their prey. Mm-hmm which kind of feels the flight, flight, ah, fight or flight response. We're getting into cells now. The adrenal oh. gland is formed by neural crest cells, which are sh- cells that show up very early in development of vertebrae embryos. Funnily enough, is that word funnily? Funnily? Funny enough. These cells were first discovered the exact same year that Darwin published that book, but by a different person. Wilhelm Hiss, but they <laughs> did not know the connection. 
they just happened to find those cells the same year that Darwin wrote a book about why animals change under domestication. Anyway, it took until 2018 to find out this, and it's still not like proven. 100% proven. Yeah. That during development, these special cells go around the body to all from like the ears to your toes to the adrenal glands and the kidneys. They all have a purpose. However, as domestication happens, the calmer animals that have less adrenaline have less of these cells or just less effective ones. So they didn't go all the way to the tips of the ears to make them erect. They didn't go to the snouts to make them longer for uh, catching catching preys. So basically their hypothesis is it's all because lower adrenaline affect these cells and then as those first offspring inherited the, I guess, less effective cells from their parents, those offspring then passed it on and kept passing it on. And uh, over time, we got two dogs that we have now. So basically, like uh, what you're saying is less adrenaline because it's not necessary once they're domesticated because they're not in a situation yeah, where they need that adrenaline as often. Yes. What about hunting dogs, though? So, over time, dog breeders found a way to kind of reverse these changes. So, I think the for all of the first domestic dog, I don't quote me on this, but they had flappy ears. Actually, probably back in the caveman days, they were still probably used to uh, attack. But once they got the flappy ears, it was kind of just a mixed breed dog. And then breeders reversed them. To get things such as a German Shepherd with, you know, pointy ears, looks like a stoic dog, or they enhance the changes further, such as pugs or French bulldogs, which basically have no snout. <laughs> uh, There's a different story going on with that right now for they're trying to make them healthier by making their faces longer. I'm not going to get into that anyway. So. I don't, dogs are kind of weird for that because you can breed them so oddly. So, yes, um, scientists are still unsure why domesticated animals, like not all domesticated animals, follow <laughs> these rules back to cats. But then there's also llamas, other weird animals. They have upright ears. Alpaca, same thing. Um, but yeah, they, they don't know why. So, they're going to keep studying that specifically. They have good theories, though. They have good theories. Basically, it comes down to the adrenaline, adrenal glands, and the neural crest cells. And then, I believe, kind of like what you said, back to, you know, they don't need to be on alert because they're protected by people. They're not out in the wild. I'm sure if you released dogs to the wild that were normally domesticated and the ones that survived over generations, I'm sure they would uh, develop erect ears again which yep. i added i think this this kind of plays into like survival of the fittest as well well it's just like how people have adapted too. like yeah when we started being civilized you know and having you know not having to like raise our own food or kill our own food you know like people probably became much shorter and less muscular 
yes. you know, you didn't have to live in, in sub-zero temperatures for half the year. So people exactly. have less hair on their body. Yes. So, yeah, adding to that, when I was in college, I took a biology class, two of them. <laughs> uh, one of the studies I remember that we studied, studied, we studied, was about mice and how they adapted to the surroundings or had to basically survive with the fittest, kind of like these animals that have splotchy fur. So it was a study about mice. I think it was in Hawaii or somewhere with volcanoes. Um, so they were like gray, brown field mice. And then after a volcano created like the dark surface, the molten, whatever, these white or brown mice started dying more rapidly because they were contrasted against the black surface mm-hmm. for because birds or hawks or whatever would pick them off easily until a mutation occurred where a black mouse was born and that black mouse survived because it blended in and then reproduced. And then over a few years, all the mice became black instead of brown and white or gray. So I think that also that kind of thing is also why dogs have splotchier colors because they don't need to blend in with anything anymore. Like yeah. a, a wolf, you know, they'll kind of crouch down in some tall grass or a tiger. They have stripes because it blends them in with the environment or jaguars. If they were domesticated, they probably wouldn't need that. They'd be much more random in color. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. That's just, interesting. That, I think that plays a factor as well. So, like, do zoo animals ever, like, ha- like they reproduce zoo animals? I wonder, like, if yeah. any tigers hmm. have ever developed, like, floppy ears, if, like, they're, like, the third generation of the zoo. That's a good question. Yeah, for another time. It is, yes. I did just, now that you mentioned zoo animals, the only floppy wild animal, floppy eared wild animal is an elephant. Yeah, but they're badass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're huge. <laughs> so, <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that was the only one that I could think of and that I read about. So I, there might be more, but if there's more. Tweet at us. I don't know. Find uh-huh. a floppy eared wild animal. Let me know. Floppy. I'm pretty sure frogs have floppy ears. Anyway, let's move on to segment frogs? two. <laughs> frogs? Frogs? You said frogs? <laughs> yeah. yeah they, they, have have ears. they have holes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to segment two. We got more animal talk. Vision to podcast. Uh, why? Next. All right, so more animals, eh? More eh? animals, indeed. You want to learn about blowfish? Blowfish? We're yes. going to get into them later. But, uh, <laughs> The next question in this series of why is da, 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 why do we have different names for different groups of animals? You know, like a group of animals might be called a herd or a flock, or why don't we just have like one singular name for each group of animals? Like, why is there so many different weird names? And I'm also going to bring you some weird names. I, anyway. yeah, that is strange. Like, I mean, most of the time I feel like people would just be like, that's a pack of whatever or a flock. But well, here's the deal: you might be calling a lot of these groups of animals by the incorrect name, I but it's just sure. socially accepted because, like you say, a pack of wolves, like that might not actually, for instance, be the correct English word for it. But everybody will accept it because they don't know any better. Yeah, unless you're that guy that just knows everything. <laughs> no, it's actually, it's a uh... yeah. So anyway. We've all heard of this one group of animals called crows. They're called a murder of crows when there's many of them. That one I'm very curious about. Do you know why? Are you going to get into that or not? 
a little bit. We'll talk a little bit. But basically, when it comes down to crows, it's basically like it's kind of like the representation of the animal is what it comes down to in that category. There's basically two schools of thought when it comes down to it of why the name of something is. But as far as why there's so many millions of different ones, there's not really a good answer. So some nouns in the English language make logical sense in referring to a group or collection of animals. Phrases like a pack of wolves or a herd of bison or a school of fish all use terminology that even outside of context for any specific species refer plainly to groups of items or individuals. You could probably even use these phrases more broadly and still be deemed largely grammatically on point. Like I said, gesturing to a group of rhinos by remarking, oh, look at the herd of rhinos. That's not uh, going to raise anybody's eyebrows, right? I'm going I'm to start. Until some guy in your group just goes, actually, yeah, a group of rhinos is called a crash. A crash? What? That's cool. I'm going to start calling a pack of wolves a school of wolves and see what people say. School of wolves. Look at that school of wolves over there. Because I right. run into that all the time, you know? Yeah, school of wolves. You run into those all the time. <laughs> so this is from the Naturalish website. This article is called The Absurd Truth Behind Collective Animal Nouns. Terminology for groups of animals, then, is designed to reflect the way English speakers already describe the world around them. Some of the oldest cases on record, like murder of crows, is a keystone example. And they're traced back to some rather colorful, poetic language coined in the 14th or 15th centuries. The exact origins lost to time, linguists are left mainly to speculate. Perhaps the crow's traditional association with a violent death made the mid-millennia authors adopt a colorful word for this place. Many of these terms come from almanacs like Book of St. Albans that serve as touchstones for the written word centuries ago and help group a roadmap of how language evolved over hundreds of years into what we know and love today. So basically, hmm. what we're trying to say here is... This all got decided a long, long time ago. And for the reasonings behind why it was decided, that's up to speculation. Like there's no perfect answer, but it's going to come down to one of two things. So there's two argue arguments and opposing sides to this historical narrative. First is that these phrases represent common word usage, which is something that if I, I was going to describe it as myself, I would say is like, what the majority of people would call a group of this animal. So if there was a vote between a million people and we said, okay, you're going to pick crows. What is everybody going to say? Murder. Well, according to a study, um, about three times as many people will call a group of crows flock. than people will call them murder. So three out of four people, well, I should say, like three out of four people would call a group of crows a flock and not a murder. Interesting. I, yes, I, yes. I would assume they would do that for every bird then. Well, yeah. So that's what I'm trying to say is like, that's the common word usage. But other ones, uh, instead of using common word usage, uh, use an actual thing called poetic description of the animal. And that holds no everyday meaning. Basically, it's just like a representation of what kind of describes that animal. So, for instance, a pride of lions versus a pack or a herd. Uh, this one's even more staggering. I believe it is uh, 
yeah, it's like three to one again. More people, three people out of four will call it a pride of lions versus a herd or a pack. Oh, so that was more accurate. So people know a group of lions as a pride better than a herd or a pack. Interesting. But for crows, they know them more, more often as a flock. Uh, a flock. So basically what it comes down to is it's confusing as heck because most of the time in the English language, you're going to use either one of two things. You're either going to go, like, for instance, we got common word usage here and we have poetic, whatever, representation or whatever I said it was, poetic description. So normally if we're going to have groups of animals, in the English language, we would normally say, okay, we're always going to have poetic or we're always going to have common word usage. So if you're going to stick with common word usage, you would call it a flock of crows. You would also call it a pride of lions because that's the most commonly used word. But in some situations, it, it differentiates. So like the correct term for, for crows is a murder. There's been a murder. Poetic, which is the poetic description. But for lions... It's a pride, which is also both a commonly used How? word and a poetic description. How are you supposed to know the commonly used ones? Well, that's studies. That's why I'm telling you. I, I know, but reading. like if you're just in a conversation, I mean, no one's going to call you out. But So necessarily why? There's two different answers. And for some reason, we can't keep a consistent usage of it. It's either, like I said, it's either something that's been commonly used or it's something that was poetically describing the animal in the first place that we just stuck with, you know? <laughs> so yeah. anyway, this article goes on to say, rather than whining to the internet about a broken old century language system, I want to ride this wave. If naturalists have to have been able to coin to con linguists into accepting this, these bizarre nonsensical nouns into an official record, then why shouldn't I be able to do the same? I've got a goodie for you, and this is where the blowfish comes into. Get ready for it. It is now going to be called, according to this guy, or what he's, what he's uh, suggesting, a hootie of blowfish. A hootie of blowfish. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that was, that was pretty creative. I love that one, so. Yeah. Anyway, so I did some more diving. So we have this one topic that says, well, basically, we use poetic descriptions to arrive at a way of naming all these different groups. So that way, if you just said, hey, there's a pack over there, you would understand it's probably this or this or this, you know, or hey, there's a pride over there. You know, it's lions. Like that was kind of what I was understanding from what I've done research on is we'll have different names for each group of animals. So that way we know, like when you just say, a flock, you look to the air, you know, like a school, you look to the oceans, a pack, you look to, on the plains. I need to try that school of wolves thing and see what people <laughs> School of wolves. Hey, look at that school over there. What? We're in a field. But then I did some more deep diving. And apparently, some of the big names of as far as uh, relatively Englishly termed um, animals, uh, some groups, um, some group names came from English hunting hunting communities. So basically, these communities refer to these groups with specific animals or specific formations in animals. And it was so common that they got their unique names and kept them that way because it was commonly used. You know what I'm saying? So like they use poetic language to say like, okay, we're hunting turkeys today and it's a 
I think it's a rafter of turkeys is the word <laughs> or something like that. Or right here, I can tell you in a second. Yes, it's a rafter. I feel like they just so made like, up a word as soon as like it was oh, something that's like, like a rafter. Well, I mean, kind of like all of them for the most part kind of reminds me or like makes you kind of envision the animal. You know what I'm saying? That's why it's got a poetic description to it, basically. Sure. So if you were hunting and for instance, you said, oh, there's a rafter over there. You're thinking there's a bunch of turkeys. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, oh, look over there. There's a, I don't know, a, a herd of deer. <laughs> a know? gaggle. Like you could have, yeah, there's a gaggle. Then you look for geese, you know, like that's, I think what the purpose behind it was, but consistently throughout history, they've gone back and forth on whether they want to use what's most commonly used or if they want to use a poetic description. Interesting. I like the poetic. So not really a, yeah, those are more fun. Not really a great answer for it. Uh, basically, we just started calling stuff whatever we wanted to when the language was being developed and some of it just stuck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, if you call like a land mammal, a pack or a herd, you're right. But then there's certain groups where it's just like, no, we're going to call them something more colorful. Or like, for instance, birds, like you said, why don't we just call them all a flock? Well, that would work for most of them. But then for some of them, we got to have something more colorful Murder. to set them apart, which I don't really understand why. Yeah. Murder. So let's dive into some fun names. Are you Ooh. ready for it? Yes, I'm excited. Because I got so sick of like, just reading all this nonsense about basically everybody's upset about it <laughs> online <laughs> and throwing many different Reddit threads about how stupid this is. So we're going to get into some fun topics. And like I said, I talked about the blowfish. It might be called a hootie. hootie. <laughs> I really <laughs> like that. Let's get even, a do they even swim together? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, there's going to be some conspiracy talk at the end of this, but let's do some fun names first. All right. I did mammals and marsupials first. Okay. Here's, here's some of my favorite ones. A group of apes is called a shrewdness. A shrewdness? Shrewdness. S-H-R-U-R-E-W-D-N-E-S-S. A shrewdness Shrewd- of apes. Shrewdness of apes. So that, that includes like gorillas and chimps or... Uh, I would say just apes. Okay. So, so I'm going to go with that one. I don't really know if that's poetic. I would say that one's probably more common usage. Must have been what they were using all the time. This one's definitely poetic, though. Bats. You normally think of bats as something like haunting. What goes, al- what goes along with Halloween? Bats, definitely. But what else? Witches. What do witches brew in? A cauldron. So it's a cauldron of bats. Oh. That's, that's poetic. That's, as that's- Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Cauldron of bats. All right. Elephants. It's actually a parade. Parade. Because <laughs> they must parade around the plane. I mean, you can kind of see that because they usually, they, you know, they kind of walk in they, a line. They always stick together, though, too. Yeah. yeah that, I like that one. A parade of elephants. Yeah. A business of ferrets. <laughs> a business. <laughs> <laughs> ferrets mean business. Giraffes, this one is very poetic. A tower of giraffes. Oh, that one's kind of like a pun. Here's a conspiracy of lemurs. That's the name. What? Conspiracy. Yeah, it's conspiracy of lemurs. (laughs) Conspiracy of (laughs) lemurs. I thought you were going to tell me something. 
Yeah, well, that's oh, that's the tip of the iceberg. Let's just conspiracy say. of lemurs. Yep. Why would and then porcupines? What? This one, this one's definitely poetic. Porcupines. A group of porcupines is a prickle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Can't make this stuff up. All right, let's get on the birds. We mentioned the murder of crows. Eagles, though, they're a convocation of eagles. Convocation. Gaggle of geese. How about a charm of finches? A charm of finches. Or an exaltation of larks. What the exaltation? <laughs> this one you might know. Do you know what a group of owls are? Ooh. <laughs> hooters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hooties and hooters. <laughs> I know it's a it's a parliament of owls. A parliament of owls. That's sophisticated. Because when you see a bunch of owls on like one tree. They look like a bunch of like suited and tied people. Yes. So that's mm. why they call them parliament. They're so gathering for their meetings. Yes. Ravens. Uh, this one's kind of funny. An unkindness of ravens because they're not unkindness. very nice. <laughs> and then last unkindness. for the birds is a rafter of turkeys, as I mentioned. A rafter. But now on to the big conspiracy. We had your conspiracy about squids and being them from other planets. Uh huh. And aren't they going to send some squids to space soon? Oh, yes. They already did. Baby ones. Okay. Yeah, so we talked about this on our sports podcast. All right. So here we go. Bloopers. I don't know. All right. A group of squid is an audience. An audience? An audience of squid. Here's my, my reasoning. Squids aren't from this planet. They were placed here. Oh. Aliens. They came here to observe as audience of the human race. These squids are aliens observing us and they're going back to space. They're audiences of Earth. It all makes even more sense. Yes. So they, I'm going to guess there's a bigger species out there that sent the squids here as aliens and they were just being an audience. They were collecting observing, observing us and now we're sending them back. They, yes, they somehow the government knew this the whole time. Yes, they somehow communicated to the humans and said, we need to return home, send us to space. And they're like, all right, here we go. I think, I think the first alien life form that came down met up with like the great leaders of the world. And they were like, we can't have you here. Well, we want to know more about you, they say. So we're like, okay, send down these squid type beings that you say you got and we'll let them observe us. And when the time comes, we'll send them back to you. Yes. Yes conspiracies it's or, so, so perfect and that's why we call them an audience or maybe squids have uh taken over certain people's minds yeah maybe they're like brain suckers yeah so they're inside of like nasa scientists and like you know what let's just send some squids up and see what happens you know all those people that go missing without being found yes. this is what happens then they get taken to a government facility where the squids analyze their brains <laughs> and now we're sending the squids back to space yes they just need so some much bodies. for that why question we started with. This is way more, <laughs> way more important. <laughs> Welcome to conspiracies with our next podcast spinoff will be called Conspiracies with Fish and Chip. <laughs> Coming to you, TBD. TBD. All right, that's all I got there, Chip. No other aquatic creatures. Uh there were, but they weren't as many funny ones. And when I saw okay. the audience of squid, it kind of just took my mind like, off yes, everything else. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was where I, I hit the squid and I was just like, I'm done. This I'm is done. it. I'm done. 
I don't want to go any farther. Otherwise I might find something else. I don't want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. Good work. Yes. 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 We'll keep, we'll keep you up to date on that. squid talk for sure. For sure. Um, Fish and Chip Podcast on Twitter at Fish and Chip Pod, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Machine, Amazon, most places you keep podcasts. Remember, hit us up, DMs, just tweet at us. Doesn't matter if you got a topic you want to hear. Maybe you already know about it. Maybe you want to know about it. Maybe you want everybody else to know about it. Let us know. We'll dive into it. Yes. If not, we're going to keep rolling with this. Probably take an animal break next time. And uh, we'll be back one week from today. Knuckleheads. Knuckleheads. <laughs> I should send the show, okay? Bye, Chip. Bye, dear. Bye, Chip. Bye.